1: Welcome to New Books in Political Science. My name is Keith Brown, and today I have the pleasure to talk with Joshua Mitchell, who is the author of book built in Arabia, the one that's in a democratic movie. Joshua, how are you doing today? I'm very well, thank you. This is a really interesting book, uh, a little different book than
0: at Georgetown since 1993, and uh, for most of that time, I have been involved in the government department teaching history of Western political philosophy, basically uh, Plato through Nietzsche. And then in 2005, I was given the opportunity to step away from the chair position and get involved with the uh, startup operation for Georgetown School of Foreign Service in Doha, Qatar. And I was very intrigued by the possibility. It's not something that's completely out of my purview. I was actually born in Cairo uh, while my dad was doing research on the Muslim Brotherhood. In fact, his book is still the definitive work on the Brotherhood. And in my early years, because he could not find a job in area studies because those centers did not exist, I actually grew up uh, in Kuwait and in Yemen. So I have long familiarity with the Middle East, and in 2005, as I said, I went to Doha and intended intended just to stay for three years and did and then came home and was immediately asked um, by uh, somebody I had known um, vicariously to come out to Iraq and at that point um, I thought sure I know how to build a university so I went out and helped him build the American University of Iraq in Kurdistan from 2008 to 2010 and I've been back
1: since but so back and forth in the Middle East as well. Yeah, and, and the book reflects um some of these these different stops along along your way, this is not a typical academic book. There was a, so there was a lot of intellectual discussion in it. I wanted you talk a little bit um, about the, how this book came to be. Uh, did you think this to the publisher as it is? Um, is this book that you set out to write and you began? Just give us a little bit of the, the
0: background. Well, in after two thousand and one happened, I had. I want to call it a crisis but but I had really decided that the Middle East was my father's work and I was simply going to do the history of Western political philosophy and when two thousand and one happened it brought my world um, the world that I had chosen to follow the Western European American political world into collision with the Middle East and um, I wrote an essay which appeared as an epilogue um, of a of a book that you got and I remember who else edited a few years back, and it was a very personal telling of uh, of my past history. kind of an autobiographical purging, frankly. And I, I initially did not think it was going to go further, but I got great encouragement from Gene and a number of others who read it and said, "This is this is an entirely new voice." And uh, you know, I have enough German in me that I write very arcane uh, political theory works with. 750 footnotes, and I'd done three of those. And I kind of sat on it for two, three, four years, and then when I went to Qatar and started teaching, I realized that what I had begun there needed to be continued. And so I was teaching history of Western political philosophy, and it occurred to me that a new kind of book had to be written. Uh, I find a lot of the debates in political theories these days to be very well orchestrated and choreographed. But I'm frankly not pleased with the direction things are moving. Um, political theory, I think, begins uh, largely because of World War II, and so it, it's a response to events, an attempt to plumb the depth of Western tradition with a view to making sense of those events. Precisely that—that's what political theory needs to do. There was some um, some turn because of 1989, very little because of 2001 almost nothing at all because of the financial crisis of 2007-2008 and I just decided I wasn't going to write another book that way so I started with the same voice I had had in that one epilogue and then asked myself the question how far can this go and in the course of uh, my several years in Iraq I got a in, a, in a Qatar actually I got a start on it but frankly most of it much of it was written in Iraq uh, under very, very difficult circumstances. I was sitting there in my office and was able to reflect about the Middle East as a whole, about U.S. foreign policy in the Middle East, about the crisis <laughs> of modernity, which I think to be very real there in the Middle East. And the book just kind of grew and grew and grew, and uh, it has very few footnotes. As you know, just a few references to pages. There's no substantive footnotes in the book. And I shopped it around, uh, and a number of publishers were thought that it was well-written, but they said, well, this just isn't the kind of thing I did. They do, so I talked to John Trenesky at the University of Chicago, who published my first two books, and it was a long shot, because they generally don't do this sort of thing, but he read it, and he said, well, you know, we do lots of Tocqueville, and I think we want to do this one. So it was a happy surprise that John picked it up uh, after my
1: last book, which was 1995 at them. so there you have it. And uh, a lot of the book is, is um, reflections on literature, but also reflections on your own past and also the past of your students. Um recall a conversation in 2005 that you had a, uh, at a cafe. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I wonder if you could recount a little bit of this conversation and what you took from it, because it was going to set up a lot of, uh, a lot of questions that go on. So tell us about that conversation.
0: Well, in, in other parts of the book, I have extended reflections on, on the 1960s, and I do that um, for a number of reasons. Um, first, the book is not just written for an American audience. It's written for my Middle Eastern students as well who don't really understand the 60s. Second, you know, the other great book about the 60s um, that's within our orbit is Alan Bloom's Closing the American Mind. And I, I wanted to both, in a way, amplify his thoughts, but to show that it wasn't just the 1960s. It was something so much deeper going on. It was a part of a, a general movement that had seen happen or seen developing, you know, 170 years ago, 180 years ago. Um, so that was one of the reasons I moved in that direction. So I had always the sixties was very powerful for me. I was I grew up in Ann Arbor, lots of things happened there. And then when I met this gentleman uh in Saudi Arabia, or from Saudi Arabia, who is really the first substantive person you're introduced to in the book. I realized that the 60s was not just America, that there was a 60s generation in in Europe, that, as I say in my book, that they too were interested in throwing off their fathers, but that meant something very, very different to them. It meant throwing off the legacy of national wars, and so, whereas in America, throwing off our fathers meant innovation and experimentation, in Europe, what it meant was throwing off the fathers of their nations, and so creating the European Union... And then, as I note in the book, this very wise man said, we don't understand. We, too, had a 60s generation, and like you, we were throwing off our fathers. And the fathers that we were throwing off had made this halfway capitulation to the West, uh, which we found very unpalatable. And so you have a 60s generation in Saudi Arabia, which in, in some of its parts uh, became interested in the process of what Tocqueville and Rousseau and Weber would call the re-enchantment of the world, and the return to Islamic fundamentalism. So, three different 60s generations, three ways of throwing off fathers. I raise this this notion of throwing off the fathers because this is Tocqueville's fundamental claim, that the breaking of the links between the generations that you once had in the aristocratic age is characteristic of the democratic age, and it seemed to me that this would be a way to introduce an issue that's larger than the 60th generation introduce the the grand movement of history, which is the
1: delinking of persons much of um uh, the discussion is about actually teaching Oakkeville in this new environment that a new can state that you're a part of um and and you teach this this course which I think you've taught any time uh, in the state about the history of Western political thought. In that class, uh appears somewhat even late the field, later in the in the semester, I would imagine. I wonder what you expected the reaction of your students to uh, uh, so, so be to. Uh before full pick accepted as the teaching teach it for the first class. What did you anticipate their reaction to it based on your previous teaching? Well, um,
0: in the book I mentioned that my first exposure to international students was not I had moved back and forth to Latin America for, the, for three summers um, before 2001. And what I had encountered there was a great deal of resistance to uh, to liberal thought, broadly understood, economic liberalism, political liberalism. Um, and this, of course, had happened after 1989 when in North America the understanding was that Karl Marx had been repudiated. Um, and my wonderment there in Latin America and also in Lisbon where I taught for a bit uh, was how the kind of triumphal understanding of liberalism had not taken hold down there. They were deeply, deeply suspicious of liberalism as I say in the book. They, uh, they had a kind of tacit appreciation and endorsement of Marx and Rousseau without having read them and a the deep suspicion of Smith. So, I had already had some encounter with, um with Latin American and European, let's call them anti-modern tropes, anti-modern suspicions. Uh, and when I went to the Middle East, I, I knew there would be something like that, but I think the big surprise was that the language was almost identical. So it didn't matter, uh, it didn't matter that these young people came from a different religious tradition, it didn't matter that whereas in Argentina, standards of living were falling, whereas in Qatar and Lisbon they were rising at that time, it, none of that mattered. And what struck me then was that there had to be some larger explanation for why young people around the globe spoke really unreflectively using the exact same tropes, uh, kind of anti-modern tropes. And what occurred to me was that colonialism had an awful lot to do with it, that... Uh, Either because of European education going there or because the young people over generations had gone to Europe, uh, they had imbibed a certain suspicion of the liberal project. And there are of course a lot of European thinkers who have that, Rousseau, Marx, Nietzsche, Heidegger. And so what I was hearing, though it was ostensibly an authentic Muslim response, was actually not that. It was, it was intermixed anti-modern tropes uh, along with the Islamic positions they were trying to, to make. So the mystery became why it was these um, these anti monotropes are so prevalent. And th- at that point, I realized that Tocqueville was even more important than I had thought because this was what Tocqueville was writing about in the 1830s. Democracy in America is not written for Americans. It's written for the French. who are wrestling with the question, can we go back to re-enchant the world? Can we save the aristocratic past? Or how do we live in this democratic age? So I was expecting of my students a certain resistance to democracy in America because it seemed to be a book about America. I was quickly able to dispel that. Uh, but then when they started voicing their serious concerns, it sounded remarkably like what i had heard in Buenos Aires and in Lisbon. So at that point, I realized that there was a kind of global challenge here, which Tokyo had seen already, which was in the face of this movement into what he called the democratic age, how are people going to respond to it? And he had very clear understanding. They would try to re-enchant the world, or they would try to overthrow the current relink condition through through revolution. And that's why Tocqueville, in my view, and I think it convinced my students, is is the political theorist or social theorist for the 21st century, because he confronts the problem that, that everyone around the world is faced with, namely how do you deal with modernity?
1: Now, who, who, who were these students that, that you taught there? Um, where, were they, where were they headed after your class? Um, have, you, have you been in touch with any of them? Um, has this, has your class, we all hope that our teaching stays with our students. But I wonder, given what you interpret as, as a pretty meaningful experience in this literature, Um uh you gather this
0: Whenever this apology starts up, the first year students are always going to be the ones who take the biggest risk and their parents are, are willing to, to, uh, to endorse that. So we had a spectacular first year class and some of them were cutteries, but I want to be clear, the book Tokyo in Arabia is not just a series of reflections on my, series of reflections on the cuttery students because the students came from the Levant, they came from India, they came from the Philippines in one case. We also had some from Eastern Europe. We actually had a Marine who was stationed there who was had finished up and wanted to join too. So it was this really wonderful group of about 20 or so, 24 students from Cutter, but really around the world. So it wasn't just Cutter's students. Um, it it took time, I and mean, I had them over the course of several years, and what I realized is that you have to build a relationship of trust, of course, with American students, but But when you're overseas, it takes a little bit longer, and and I think the key there is just to listen. And I tell my colleagues that I learned more about Western political thought while I was teaching them because I had to listen to questions of the sort I would never, ever get in the United States. So, for example, in the United States, when I teach elements of political theory to my undergraduates, it is universally true for all of them, a hundred of them or so that are in my class that democracy is the highest political form. In Qatar, there were students, and I don't remember, I think it might have been cutters but they weren't just Cutters who, who would look at me and say, Professor Mitchell, you don't understand. Constitutional monarchy is the highest form of government, and your American students are, are so disillusioned, they're so delusion, delusional that, uh, that they don't understand the, the highest political form here. So I was dealing with a, a universe of ideas that were completely different than the ones on the main campus. So that was refreshing profession for me. Um, I also, the second author I teach was St. Augustine, City of God, and I had no trepidation about it. I think there's some sense that in the Middle East they, they don't want to talk about Christianity, they don't want to talk about religion, and I'm sure in some quarters that's true, but I had really, really refreshing conversations with my Muslim students about Christianity. Um, they... They range broadly in terms of what they want to do. Some are very well connected uh, because of their families. Others, not so much. Uh, Some of them stayed. Some of them left. Uh, I left before the first class graduated, but I heard secondhand that they were running up and down the halls always talking about Tocqueville. So I took this to be a very serious success. Um, And when I go back there this spring, I'm going to be teaching my Tocqueville class again. So... uh, a, it's a great group of students. Some of them will end up being political leaders. Others will be in business. Others will drift off and
1: who, who knows what. But uh, it was really a wonderful group of students. Yeah, uh, I wonder you you end the book with an epilogue that reflect a little bit about your, your more recent experiences very good grad. conclude maybe with your some sort of those thoughts and how this connects, you yeah. uh, know, either to your your own. Um, the in reconstruction uh, efforts in Iraq, and and or you know how does this impact how you teach back in the states? Um, has it changed uh, your your pedagogy uh, or your scholarship uh, on on so, so? What is the so what is the next step for you? Well, the book is even though I spent two full
0: years in Iraq, the book is largely about Qatar, in part because it had I written about Iraq it would have been a very different kind of book. I dealt with immense political pressures there and uh, challenges that uh, it's it just impossible to convey in a few sentences, or I don't even think I could do it in the book. It was a post-war zone uh, and tremendous distrust. Um, it was a space area, but I had AK-47 carrying bodyguards, and we had to tell our students to leave their rifles in the trunk when I came to school. And it wasn't, it wasn't that we were ever felt there was an imminent threat, but when you're in a place that's had war for such a long time, people just carry guns and it's just part of life. So it would have been a different kind of book. That said, the students I encountered were, in one decisive respect, not different the others I've encountered around the world. They're students who wrestle with what it means to be modern, the problem is exacerbated because of all the new social media technology. On the one hand, this group of students is identical to our American students in that they have Facebook, text messages, the whole nine yards, Twitter, and in that sense, they have the kind of liberation from their parents and their uh, their larger social setting that our kids have, but they're also very, very tied to their families in ways that most Americans can't understand, and so... They are, they are torn in ways that our students aren't. And they're desperately looking for answers. The old educational system there is not going to work anymore. It's a complete rote memorization method. And these kids who have a suppleness of mind to realize the world is changing know that that education isn't going to work anymore. So I have come away thinking that, uh, well not surprisingly, bombs and bullets are, are not always the best way to go. And that there is something that America can do because it does it relatively well. Um, and the really happy news is that around the globe, uh, ministries of higher education are clamoring for it, namely United States or American higher education. So I've come away thinking that the next great challenge is global higher education. And I think, particularly for political theory, this is important because, as I said at the outset, so many of the debates have become sterile, and there's a a growing suspicion that the canon could do anything for us. My view is that the canon is incredibly important now. In fact, it's more important now than it ever has been, but I don't mean it as a defense for an existing tradition. I mean it rather as a kind of resume of the existential possibilities that a civilization can know, and so I want to bring those, those books from each canon into conversation, and it strikes me that that's really the challenge of the 21st century um, for, for young people around the globe, because in the Middle East, they will quickly tell you uh, that, that what I call liberal triumphalism is not going to work, that democracy is not going to come. And then many of them will launch into a kind of uh, indignation using uh, post-colonial tropes, and I'll sit and listen and say, yes, you're absolutely right about all these all the injustices that that you have uh, incurred at the hands of the West, and then I say to them, and now how are you going to build a world? And they don't have an answer. Now, the happy news is there are a number of young people who realize that they're going to have to plund their own traditions to figure out how they're going to move forward. And this, to me, is a spectacular development. And if we can set up global education um, to be able to help retrieve that, then I think we can have the kind of civilizational global conversations that we need to have um, and as I said, the happy news for political theory that that raises it up from the dead where it more or less is now. Um, and then it can, can make a
1: real serious contribution to global education. Yeah, I think as, as you can all tell, this is a, um, a book uh, that's Stephen theory, but also in some of the catalog and also about pedagogy. also has one of the better book uh, covers.